0: Well, I want you to open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 5. We're going to continue through this series. This is going to be the last uh, sermon message on the series, Unveiling Jesus. That is what Revelation is about. It is about a revelation of God. The first five chapters are one section. The next 15 chapters are the outpouring of these judgments. And we learned last week that these aren't just... God's wrath being poured out. He gives a child up, up there and stomping his feet and saying, I'm just so angry. And no, it is redemptive. These judgments are redemptive. and But throughout, we see several times in which the people shake their fists of God. They refuse, they curse him, and they refuse to repent. Except, of course, at the very last, at the end of chapter 11... And it says that a judgment fell upon um, the the city of Jerusalem. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake and the survivors. The survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. See, this was God's goal all along. That people would eventually, through these struggles and hardships, through the curse as a result of sin upon the earth, that people would repent and, and turn back to the God that created them. So... This is the picture that we have over the next 15 chapters and then the remaining two chapters are this amazing picture of the God in heaven who now comes to earth in a renewed heaven, in a renewed earth, and sets up his kingdom there. The new Jerusalem, he, John says he saw, coming down out of heaven to earth. And there is where we, we, we live forever and ever in our resurrected bodies. That is the unveiling of Jesus throughout Revelation. And understand it, it, it. Revelation is in the singular. It's not revelations. It is one revelation, and that revelation is Jesus. It is the unveiling of Jesus Himself. <laughs> revelation chapter five. I remember one particular Christmas. Leading up to it, uh, my dad—he loved to tell stories. So he would give us like little clues and he would kind of ramp up towards Christmas. And this particular Christmas, he was building something in the basement or doing something there. We didn't think it was taking him weekends after weekend to wrap a gift, but he said it was for all of the family. And while we, and it was weekend after weekend, guys, hours and hours every weekend. And we're just thinking, this has got to be great. And my dad was real He was a crafty person, that is crafty with his hands. And he he had built a lot of things. He had round the house for the house. And and he showed me, of course, how to do that. And I've had the privilege of doing a few things around our house. Not too many, but a number of things. And so here he is. And and weekend after weekend, he's putting time into this. And us boys, what's down there? And he says, "Uh uh-uh, don't go down those stairs. Mm Mm-mm, Mike, I hear that door opening. You can't go down there. And so it built the suspense. And it wasn't just what he was doing downstairs, but then it was the gifts around the Christmas tree. Every Christmas, because th- there were just so many people. We weren't that rich. We weren't. We were poor. We were very lower middle class. But between my grandparents and my parents, they saved up, and, and there were just c- gifts overflowing out into the floor from under the Christmas tree. And so we were just in total expectation. What, what would have happened If on Christmas morning, my dad said, hey, guys, here, gather together. I I need to tell you something. Apparently, um, our finances fell through, some checks bounced, and so we're returning all of the gifts. Just returning them back to Woolworth. Woolworth, wow, does that date me, right? (laughs) What is a Woolworth? (laughs) It's a department store for those of you who are a little, you know, about my age. Woolworth actually was a Christian man, by the way, in the late 1800s when he founded that department store. Anyway, uh, Sears, Penney's, Walmart, Amazon, okay, whatever, <laughs> and returning all of these gifts, we would, we would, what? I, I think we would have cried. I think we would have cried as kids. Maybe not my older bro- oldest brother and sister, but us younger kids, we would have cried. And we would have been so disappointed. Or perhaps, well, I got to tell you what we found because th- he didn't have to return all the gifts. We were so happy for that. But we we opened all the gifts under under the tree, and then at the very end, he said, "Okay, we're going to go downstairs now," and we were so excited. We went downstairs, and he had built a ping pong table for us that went on top of the pool table, so we could play pool. And we wanted to play ping pong. We just put the ping pong table, you know, two portions together, and My growing up days for years and years, I played ping pong. I love playing ping pong. And I can't say that I'm the best ping pong player in this church. There are a couple of young men here who really put it to me. And I come home regularly after playing ping pong of all sports. My back is killing me. My heel, I can't walk anymore because they're so rough on me. But we had a ping pong table. I love that. How exciting that was. Or maybe, if you can't relate to that, maybe you and your family, you've been planning a vacation. You're getting an inheritance. You know how much it's going to be. You're taking a portion of it, and you're putting it towards this, and it's thousands of dollars. You're going to go to another country, and you're going to be sightseeing, and you're going to be, okay, that's not real exciting for some younger people. You're going to be going on this amazing mountain hike, Uh, skiing you're going to be what else could you do you're going to be sledding tobogganing you're going to be also going to the beach somehow you're going to it's going to be so much fun and you sit down as a family and you plan it all out you have every hour planned with fun activities even in your sleep, you're going to be having fun. So you're, you're planning, and then finally, the day before you leave on your vacation, your parents say, Guys, I'm so sorry. But the inheritance fell through. We don't understand it. It's gone. We will never get it back. It's just gone. And you cancel your vacation. Ah, oh, the disappointment. For some of you, maybe even adults, you would cry. Because you've been so... Life has been so hard and so busy and hectic. And you were so looking forward to this vacation. And it's off the table now. Gone. Evaporated like that. I want us to look at Revelation chapter 5. I believe there is something so amazing that is promised. But the possibility that it may not happen lingers in the air and it actually says that John weeps. Wow. I want to read it to you. Revelation chapter 5. I'm going to read all 14 verses to you. I'm reading from the NIV. Follow along with me if you would. Then I saw in the right hand, I I, I did this. It's really cheesy looking, to be honest with you, and I used yarn rather than like Um, wax with a little insignia, which is typically what a seal would be. But I'm going to use this, and, and you'll see why I did it this way in a moment. But then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, so that would be God the Father, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven, count them, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seal's And open the scroll, but no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth, referring to those who had died, could open the scroll and look inside. See, that's the main focus here. The scroll is to be opened and looked inside of. Verse 4, I wept and wept. In the Greek, that means John wept profusely. I think we get that from I wept and wept, because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll and look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne. See, that's where God the Father sits. But this lamb is standing right in the center of that. There's only one throne in the center of heaven, just one. And this lamb that looks as if it's, excuse me, been slain is standing in the center of it, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. Remember, there's 24 of those elders, 12 and 12, 12 being the number of God's people in both Old and New Testament. He has seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came, so the lamb came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, not some old song, There's a new song now that they're singing, and this is what they say. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. I'm not sure if you add that up, that that's the literal number that they're getting at. This concept of thousands and ten thousands, it's like beyond counting, beyond what you can, you, you can number. There's so many of them gathered around. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders and in a loud voice they sang, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom. And it sounds just like what they were singing in chapter 4, verse 11. Wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing. So these are whales and seals and fish. Somehow we we hear them joining this throng in heaven and all of them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. I want to ask two questions before we really dig into the application of what this passage is about. I mean, I, this is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. What an amazing picture of worship in heaven. And remember last week I mentioned, John is invited up, because he's on earth, up in the Spirit, because the door is open, to be able to see what is yet to come. And what is yet to come is 15 chapters of redemptive judgment and then two chapters of the new heaven and the, and the new earth. But before chapter six, where the first seal, the first redemptive judgment is unfolded, we have two chapters of worship. Jesus invites John up to where he is to see something in the throne room that is absolutely necessary for him to comprehend all of these judgments and the blessings of God in the last two chapters. And I want this week, I want us to see what is in this scroll. Yep, this scroll, not this scroll. You understand it. What is in the scroll? Why is it so important? Because the first question I want to ask is, what is this scroll? And it's a series of questions, sorry. What is this scroll? And does Jesus ever open it? in Revelation, and what's inside. If you looked for the word scroll, you would find a little scroll, but that's different than this one that he's talking about that's in the hand of the Father, and then the the Son gets it. And we don't find any opening, necessarily, of the scroll. But I'm going to tell you this. I truly believe Jesus opens the scroll. He opens the scroll. Number two, why does John weep? I think it's important for us to understand though he says no one is found worthy the focus isn't so much on the fact that everyone except the worthy one everyone was unworthy see that's not why he's weeping because you and I and everyone who has ever lived is unworthy it's the fact that if no one is found worthy to open the scroll it's going to remain sealed and never opened See, it's going to remain sealed. Whatever's in this scroll will never be opened and looked into and therefore will never happen. See, when something in the Old Testament was revealed to a prophet and he was told to seal it up, that means its fulfillment was sometime in the future. And when the seal would be broken, that's when it would take place. So do you see, if the scroll is not opened, What's inside will never come to pass. That is why John weeps. Whatever's in the scroll is of utmost importance. But no one is found worthy initially as they look around. No one in heaven, no angel. No one on earth or under the earth. No man, woman, child who ever lived or is on the earth in, the, in, in John's day was found worthy. There was only one. And it was the lion of the tribe of Judah representing triumph, but then also the lion, excuse me, the lamb of God who had been slain. So let me word it this way it was the lamb that was slain that triumphed. And so we have a dual vision a lion and a lamb. So, first, let's ask that question What is this scroll? What is this scroll? Now, look in your Bibles. It's described in a few ways. The first thing that we see is that there's writing on both sides. If you were living in John's day and you were told that someone had a document and there was writing on both sides, let me just remind you of this. The symbols that we see in Revelation are either to be interpreted as John tells us in the book Or the symbols are to be found in the Old Testament somewhere. Okay? So the Old Testament will help us understand what all these symbols in Revelation are. So here we are. There is a scroll, and it has writing on both sides. So if you were a Jew during John's day, you would try and think back to the Old Testament. What document ever had writing on both sides? that's going to be a clue. And as you think back, all the way through the Old Testament, you don't find any document with writing on both sides but one. Do you know what document that was? That was the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. Writing on both sides of that document, and there were two of them. Some suggest it was because there were two copies: Ten Commandments on the front and on the back. The first five on the front, last five on the back, something like this. And the other was a copy. And it's because that would be the when during Moses' day, when you made covenants, you would give a copy to the person you're making the covenant with, and you would have a copy, much as we do today. And so that's why some some would suggest that's why there were two, not because one had five and the other had five. Both sides, there is writing. Let me just say that on Mount Sinai, and we get this picture, and it's Exodus 19, right before the Ten Commandments are given, you can see on top of Mount Sinai, there's a cloud, there is thunder, there's fire like lightning, there's tr- a trumpet blast, the mountain is rumbling earthquakes, and he also, pr- he says to Moses that, I pulled you out of Egypt... And I guided you here on eagles' wings. Why? So that you would become my treasured possession. That means they were bought. To become a holy nation and a kingdom of priests. And we're going to see that, all of that, in this chapter. But the Ten Commandments? See, understand this... this, document, this scroll is sealed. Well, the Ten Commandments aren't sealed. If it's sealed, that means it's a mystery. The Ten Commandments aren't a mystery. So, here's what we're going to do. Just take that description. We're going to set it to the side for right now, okay? Because it's a little confusing how this would in any way be related to the, I'm not saying that they are the Ten Commandments, but they're related because there's writing on both sides. The Jew in John's day would immediately think the Ten Commandments. Okay, the second thing that we observe is that it's sealed. So therefore, it's a mystery, and it has yet to be fulfilled. Like the gospel is said to be a mystery in the Old Testament, but it's not a mystery in the New Testament because it's fulfilled. It's fulfilled in Christ. That's a mystery. The gospel, even the prophets, even Isaiah, when he said that all we like sheep have gone astray. Each one is turned to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him, the Messiah, the sins of us all. That's the gospel, but it was enshrouded in mystery. Even Isaiah himself did not understand that. And Peter tells us in the New Testament, many times prophets prophesied about the gospel, but they just didn't know or understand what they were prophesying. So this is a mystery. Now understand that this scroll is also a symbol. It's a symbol. The seals are symbols. What are the seals symbolic of? They're symbolic of God's judgments. Redemptive judgments, but God's judgments. So the seals around the scroll, each of these, there' are seven of them, they represent each one represents a redemptive judgment of God. So, the scroll then itself symbolizes something. Okay? And I'm not going to take a whole lot of time on this. By the way, Deuteronomy 28, concerning the law of God to the Israelites, Deuteronomy 28, is where the first portion of that chapter is blessings. If you keep my commandments... If you walk in my ways, if you're obedient, man, I've got so, much, so many blessings that I'm going to pour out upon you. you. Everything that you harvest, it's going to be abundant. You're going to fill your barns with the wine from, the, your, wine, from your grape crops. It's going, the vats are going to be overflowing. Your enemies will bow down to you. You'll be the head and not the tail. You will be blessed upon blessed upon blessed. However, if you don't, I am going to judge you. Can I just say this? If you look in Deuteronomy chapter 28 at those judgments, and then you read Revelation, wow. Like all of these judgments are found in that chapter. These are the judgments. If you refuse to follow after me... He's not saying perfectly, because no one's going to be able to do it perfectly. If you turn your back on me, if you begin to worship other gods and pursue other things in your life and stop pursuing me, and then the ultimate judgment, you're going to go into exile. You will be abandoned. Wow. Question Next question, does Jesus ever open the scroll? This scroll right here, does Jesus ever open the scroll and look inside? If so, where is it found in Revelation? Now, think about this. Because again, the scroll is important. We want to know what's inside the scroll because it not being opened and looked into, that is being read, it will not be fulfilled. And John weeps because of this possibility. There are seven seals on this. The seventh seal is opened in Revelation chapter 8. But here's a problem. You're not going to find the scroll being opened in Revelation 28. Do you know why? Because the very last seal is seven more judgments or seven more pronouncements, if you will, what did I say? Okay. So there's seven seals, but the seventh seal is seven more. Seven more judgments. So you're not going to find the scroll opening. You're gonna f- those seven judgments are called the seven trumpets of God. Seven angels, each have a trumpet, and they blow the trumpet. When trumpets are blown, that means they herald maybe a coming king or an enemy coming against them. But they herald something that's either very positive or very negative. So these seven angels toot their own horn, excuse me, they blow the trumpet. So if we're going to find when the scroll is opened, we don't want to look in Revelation 8, when they open the seventh seal, we need to look at Revelation 11, When the seventh seal, excuse me, the seventh trumpet is opened. So do you understand? Each of these represents one seal or judgment. But the last one is seven judgments. And we need to find that last judgment, that last trumpet. Now, you can turn there if you want. But let me just say that once the last seal is opened, the scroll... Automatically opens. Let me just show you. I'm going to open these. I'm going to make a huge mess here. I'm going to open each of these. That's number two. Number three. Number four. I hope this works. Number five. Number six. Here we go. And then number seven you see that the scroll is already beginning to open. Now, I'm suggesting this as an illustration because, number one, when we look in Revelation, when the scroll is opened, he does not open the scroll, but what he does is he opens what the scroll represents. He opens what the scroll represents. And it doesn't say that Jesus then opened this thing that it represents it automatically opens because he cut or he opened the very last seal that was the seven trumpets. So turn with me if you would to Revelation eleven. See, I, I'm I'm kind of building this up because what's in the scroll is important, very important. I think we're going to glean a lot—not just insight, but I think we're going to glean a lot of encouragement from this. It says there in chapter 11 verse 15. Are you there? The seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said, "The kingdom of the world. Excuse me. Yeah, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. That means it has been defeated. It has fallen and the kingdom of God now reigns over it. The beast, the false prophet, The the dragon, the woman, the, the, the harlot, all of them defeated. God's kingdom now reigns supremely. Now, when does this happen? If you were to look down there, in verse 17, it says, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who was and who is, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. Who was and who is, that is a refrain. This is the fourth time we come across this phrase. But there's something missing here. Because that's not how we read it in the first three times. You know how we read it the first three times? To him who was and who is and who is to come. That last, who is to come, that's gone. It's not there. Can I ask you, why do you think we don't find it there anymore? Because he has come. He's not coming, he's here. He's come and he's set up his throne. He's ruled over, he's destroyed those who are in rebellion against him. And he has, he has won the victory. And as you read on, he then talks about the judgments upon those who rejected him and refused to follow the lamb. But the rewards of his prophets and his saints. Now has come that time. In which he dispenses his blessings. And, and you then that happens at the very end of Revelation 20. I'm going to tell you this way. The scroll now suddenly opens. And Jesus, the only worthy one, opens it and looks inside. Turn with me to verse 19. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the Ark of the Covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a great hailstorm, very similar to what happened on Mount Sinai. But we have not come to Mount Sinai. The author of Hebrews tells us, we have come to the new Jerusalem, the last two chapters of Revelation. That's where we're going to go with this. Just hang on. He opens the the sanctuary. That's the actual word. that He opens the sanctuary, and you can see inside the sanctuary. But when you look inside the sanctuary, what do you see? You see the Ark of the Covenant. Here's the problem. Here's the challenge. You should never be able to see the Ark of the Covenant. Why? Because of the veil. If anyone ever opened the doors into the sanctuary, they would see the veil. They would never see the Ark of the Covenant. Do you know why? Because the Ark of the Covenant, that's where God was. Inside the Ark of the Covenant, what do you find? The Ten Commandments. Do You see, now, that veil. That veil is not just torn in two which is what we experience in our life. We have the veil torn in two, and we can enter in. Instead, there's no veil at all, completely removed. We look inside, and we as men in the holy place, there is no division between the holy place where men dwell and the holy of holies where only God dwells. As a matter of fact, The high priest could only go into the Holy of Holies, but once a year, and he had to take with him a censer, a censer filled with incense that was burning. And the reason why that had to be, and he would take that and he would swish it around as he would enter into this dark room. Do you know why? Because the smoke from it would rise and he would not be able to see the glory of God. Because man can never look on the perfection of God, the the glory, the, the complete holiness of God. Even Moses, when he asked to see the glory of God on Mount Sinai, do you remember what God did? God said, okay, but he put Moses in the cleft of a rock in the Mount Sinai, and he put his hand over it as he passed, and only when he passed and Moses saw the backside of God Did he remove his hand so he only saw a partial glimpse of God's glory? He could never see the face of God, only the backside of God. In in Hebrew, that word for face is many times in your Bible translated either face or presence. When you came before the face of a king, you came into the presence of the king. And so that Hebrew word has that interesting nuance about it. It means face, but it also means presence. You could never stand before the face of God or in his presence because you would die. Even today, in the new covenant, you cannot stand in the presence of God. We are here on earth and we live sin, three things about sin, the the, the penalty of sin in this new covenant, has been broken. There is no condemnation for you at all because of what Christ has done. The penalty is gone. No condemnation. Number two, the power of sin. See, God has come to deliver us from the power of sin, but we still struggle with that. Why? Because the third thing, the presence of sin is still there. We still sin. And because of this, even though we have... The veil torn in two, and we can be in his presence. It is only a partial experience of his presence. Now, I want you to follow me here. I want to take the rest of our time together, and I want us to look at the significance of this. And why is it that John, he, it's as if he understands at least a little bit about what's inside this scroll. Because what's inside this scroll is this new amazing covenant and all of its promises, all of its blessings in complete fulfillment. Adam walked with God. He beheld the face of God. He walked with him in the garden. There was such an amazing relationship between Adam and God. And he was with him. And there was such amazing bliss and happiness. But sin cut that out. Cut it short. Sin now acts as that veil, that wall of separation between the infinitely holy God and the sinful creature. Granted, even though I am a redeemed creature and my sins are forgiven and there is no condemnation for me, and the power of sin has been broken in my life so I can experience triumph, I still wrestle with sin day to day. And and I can have victory, but there will come a day, see, in which the earth and all of men will be completely restored, just as in the garden, just as when Adam was face to face with God in which this covenant, even though now we experience it in part, the blessings, then we will experience them completely and fully. And see, for this reason, John, he has this idea that, that there is something of blessing and triumph in, written in this scroll. It is your destiny that he's talking about. It's only partially fulfilled now. Maybe that's like opening some of the gifts under the Christmas tree. But see, there's another gift, and it's located in the basement. Okay, that's not a good part of the analogy. Maybe it's in the attic. I don't know. But you have yet to behold that. You've heard, you know, you know a lot of work has gone into this. And then suddenly, you're never going to see it. How would you feel? All of your Christian life, serving and sacrificing for Jesus, looking forward to heaven, looking forward to those last two chapters in Revelation, but it's not yours. The promise is taken away because no one was found worthy to open the scroll. It is a mystery that will never be unfolded for you. It is a promise filled with blessing that God says, sorry, we can't open it. And this is why John weeps. I want you to imagine serving God throughout your life, sacrificing. You get financial blessing and you make a hard choice because you know there are certain people that are in serious financial need and they're doing everything they can to relieve that financial burden. But thing after thing falls through and your heart is filled with kindness and generosity, and I'm not saying you have to do this all the time, but you make a decision. I'm going to take that money, and I'm just going to bless them. I'm just going to bless them. As a matter of fact, you make a choice. I'm not going to keep any of it. Wow, what a hard choice. It was kind of the choice the rich young ruler had to make, and he said, nope, not even going to sell any of it. And here you are throughout your life, sacrifices like this sacrifice, moms and dads, I think you can relate, sacrificing for your children. And then it's as if all of that sacrifice, they all rebel, they all move away, they never talk to you again for the rest of you. That would break your heart. But here you are throughout your life. You're giving, you're serving, you're sacrificing, and you're eventually saying, you know what? My life here on earth is so small compared to eternity. And when you're getting ready to die, Jesus, he visits you by an angel, and the angel's news is this. Mike, I'm so sorry. I know you've sacrificed so much, but this is it. We couldn't find anyone that could fulfill and grant you this opportunity, not, you know, not just in this life, but forever. The scroll is sealed up. You will never inherit eternal life. I'm so sorry. John weeps. He weeps. His heart is grieved. He seems to know something about what's in that scroll. Can I suggest to you that what he has heard or or what he knows about that scroll, he's actually thus far had seven glimpses of that, of what's inside that scroll, of all of those covenantal blessings and promises, the Deuteronomy 28 blessings. Should we obey his commandments? But of course we can't, but there's one worthy who has, the spotless lamb of God, whose, whose life was cut short, who was slain for me. See, he has kept those commandments. And those blessings in Deuteronomy 28 are all now mine as a Christian. But let's say God says, nope, sorry, got to, got to retract all of them. Those seven Pictures of blessing that he promises to all of you are found at the end of every single letter to him who overcomes. See, that's why John, when he comes to this, he just—he just seems to know that this scroll has something absolutely awesome and amazing. These are the blessings and promises of God that are sealed up, and we got to break all of these seals, which are the judgments of God, redemptive judgments of God, throughout. Church history, leading up to the coming of Christ, they have to all happen so that the full number of those who would believe in Jesus would come in. Because they're redemptive, they're a calling to the world. So the people being brought to their knees, humbled, in distress, hurting, looking to God saying, rescue me, help me. And this is why God is permitting this. But those seals have to be broken And only one worthy can open that scroll. And so for this reason, since initially no one was found, John weeps. Yeah. That amazing Christmas present that was in the basement. I've now made it in the attic. You can't have it. The promise of heaven taken away. Faith, it feels, has been in vain. You die. That's it. No more. Promises unfulfilled. I want you to look at this. How is Jesus worthy? Because he is the Lamb of God and it says that he was slain and by his blood, he purchased this. By his blood, he was able to make these promises not just good for you throughout this life. Now remember, your life is being constantly threatened as a member of Jesus' church, as a follower of Jesus in John's day. You could end up being one of those martyrs. But for what? And John sees this revelation of Jesus as the lion who triumphs, but the lamb who secured this for you. It's not just for you in this life. It's for you forever and ever. To him who overcomes, you're going to have the right to the tree of life. This is a promise that you will live forever and ever, no end. You will not see death. That is the promise. You will not perish. You will not be cast into hell. Never. You will enter into his presence, into his bliss forever and ever. That is the blessing. How does he do this? I, you've seen this shirt before, I think. I wore it Thursday night and it has not been washed, just so you know. That's why I'm up here and you're way back there, okay? And it's a picture of DC and Marvel superheroes, okay, sitting on a bench, And they're all gathered, and in the very center, do you see Jesus in his white robe? And they've all apparently been telling their stories, you know, how Iron Man saved them from the frost giants and and all of that in the Marvel comic book universe, and and then it's Jesus' turn. And he's apparently at the end of his story, and he just says, and that's how I saved the world. This is how Jesus saved the world. This is how Jesus was able and worthy to open these rules. His blood purchased you for himself. And the heavenly currency was sufficient for you. Your faith is not in vain. You have what you have now, and there's even more to come. All of these blessings you have in part now, but you will have them fully at the end of the age. Let me just read some of those blessings. Okay, remember by, I'm sorry, remember that by his blood, we are now a kingdom and priests. That's kind of a reflection back to the giving of the law, right? Actually, that was one of his promises. I'm going to make you a kingdom of priests to me. But I'm the one who's going to keep that law. And you're going to be able to be in my presence, no veil, not even torn, no veil at all. You'll be in my presence, the Ark of the Covenant, forever and ever in this earth. all the suffering and the sorrow that you've experienced in this life, even as a Christian, in heaven, gone. All relationships, even with brothers and sisters in Christ, and it's so hard, husbands and wives and the arguments that we get into, all of that stuff, all of the imperfections in you, that rub up against all the imperfections in your spouse, that creates the friction, that creates the arguments, that creates the hurts and the sorrow, it's all gone. Amen? Amen. And and that relationship between you and that other brother or sister in the Lord, man, church, I look forward to this. All of that is gone. All of it's gone. All of my sinful habits that hurt people, gone. There's no feelings of aloneness or rejection or hurts. They're all gone. All of your physical aches and pains gone, amen, in the new heaven and the new earth. When the scroll is completely opened and looked inside, front and back, filled with the promises of God, rich with his fulfilled promises now, you because someone was found worthy to secure them, not just for this life, but for that life. And it is Jesus. His blood purchased you, not just for this life here, but for then. And it says at the very end as they're worshiping him, and they will reign on the earth. We read about that, that the saints then reigned with God forever and ever. Chapter 22. This This is yours. All of the blessings that were originally given to Adam, that because of sin were cut off, are they all yours in the restored kingdom of God, in the restored heaven and the earth. So much actually of the worship that we sang this morning, and my wife didn't know what I was going to be preaching on. She actually does these worship songs way before. It's like song after song talked about this concept of restoration. Can you imagine your project that you're restoring like an old car, guys? Can you can you, can you feel this and and you only partially restore it and you run out of money and it never gets restored. You never get to turn the key and listen to the engine purring and driving it around with a new paint job and nope, uh-uh. In Home Improvement, when this happens, a crane drops something on top of the car and completely destroys Anyway, the, nothing, no, it's, that's, his, that's his wife's car. This is yours. It's all yours. Eternal bliss. You get to see your loved ones who follow Jesus. You'll see them. I'll get to meet. One of the persons I want to meet is my great-great-grandfather, A.T. Pearson. I want to meet him. I want to talk with him. Maybe some of you, you're looking forward to, yeah, I'm going to look at this person, maybe a passed away spouse or a a mother, a father, and and I'm going to be with them, and I'm looking so forward to that. Jesus made this, not just a possibility, but a definite, definite promise that will happen. The image of God that is in you, that by by sin and the curse is marred, God is in this process of renewing that right now in your life, by the way. But then, in absolute perfection. And when you start thinking about the image of God in me. See, God is a beautiful God. And we will stand in heaven, every single one of us, in utter absolute beauty or handsomeness, whatever. We will, you know, God created there's a desire, I believe, in every single one of us to create. That is going to be totally, throughout eternity, we will be creating. How many of you have ever created something and it didn't work out? And it looks ugly and if it's clay, you smash it. If it's made of wood, you pound it with a sledgehammer. Ah, it didn't work out. None of that, uh-uh, because what you create will be absolutely beautiful. The relationships that you'll be building in heaven will never be marred because you ended up hurting them or they hurt you. Never, ever ever. You're going to be growing in knowledge, constantly learning. I believe that's it. We're, we're not going to know everything. Church, come on. Only God is omniscient. Not even the angels know everything. We're going to be continually learning. Church, there is so much in store for us. That vacation that you couldn't have because the insurance didn't or the inheritance didn't come through or whatever, oh, that vacation is yours forever. Either on the mountains or at the beach or wherever, beautiful, beauty. God created all of this for Adam and he fell only to be restored in the new heavens and new earth. This, in this intimate relationship with God, that's what this scroll represents. All of the promises and blessings. There we get just seven little pictures. He who overcomes will. Now I'm going to just conclude with this. If you were John, and you had at least that partial glimpse or knowledge of what was in that scroll. And you understood that there's a possibility it may not ever be opened and ever fulfilled. Would you weep? Would you have wept? You know, maybe, maybe you wouldn't. Because heaven is not even on your radar. Maybe every now and then you watch a, a show or a movie and, and you think about it, but you're so focused on this life, to be honest with you, you are so distracted, that's really all you care about. You are so worried about broken relationships, now you give up. You're so wearied by financial shortcomings, you're just depressed day after day. You feel like you never get a vacation. You never get a break. Day after day is hard. And for you, your focus is so much on this world, that's all you ever think about. John didn't. Because the Lamb of God purchased him and purchased you to be his own, to be a kingdom. God rules in your heart to be priests where you can serve him and your life is poured out. We offer ourselves to you, God. the last song that we sang, this is what it's about. And then forever and ever, our faith isn't isn't in vain. All of the sacrifice, we are depositing something of eternal significance and value for the future. It's yours. And John is encouraged with this. This morning, I want us to be encouraged. I want us to be challenged. Where is our focus? Would you be disappointed if that scroll were never opened? Are you too busy with the day-to-day issues and problems of your life that you feel as if you're drowning, and you're just discouraged day after day? That's not where God wants you to be. Because the lion—excuse me—the lamb that was slain is the lion of the tribe of Judah, who has triumphed for you, for me. These promises are sure they are yours. Let's look forward to them. Let's live our lives with our eyes on that time. Amen? Can you stand with me, church? Revelation 5 closes out with this last little vision of the Lion of of the tribe of Judah, the lamb that was slain, to be able to secure for you all of these blessings that you get to experience in part now and then fully in heaven. They're yours. Church, day after day, can I just encourage you? Think about this and rejoice in it. They're yours. The next time you feel depressed, the next time you feel discouraged because what you were hoping for didn't turn out, I want you to think about this. The promises that are yours forever. Father, I just thank you that you are kind and good. You're that gracious, loving Father. You have secured for us all of these gifts. And they are ours. And you guarantee it. Thank you we get to walk in them, at least in part, in this life. Father, I pray that we would constantly be looking forward to and living this life for that life that is to come. And I just ask you, Father, for every single one of us, encourage our hearts with this hope. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Awesome. Well, God bless you guys. Have an amazing week. Keep thinking about this message. Keep reading through Revelation 5 and all of God's blessings to him who overcomes. That's yours.